You're listening to the voice of the future, fighting for America every day. This is the conservative crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome to the conservative crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in here on the Red Future Radio Network. Our guest today is a nuclear energy executive, a veteran, and a Trump-endorsed Republican nominee for U.S. Congress in Ohio's 9th Congressional District, running against the 30-plus-year incumbent Marcy Kaptur. Jared Majewski, his website is Jared Majewski, the number four, congress.com. Mr. Majewski, thank you for joining me today here on the Conservative Crusader. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm happy to be here, man. All right, so this just isn't your average TV interview. We're going to have some questions even from your district in voice, so I'm very excited to hear that. Our listeners will have to stay tuned for that, and I can't wait for that. Uh, So let's hop right into this. I'll let you take some time to introduce yourself and your campaign and why you're running. Sure. So as you uh, said, my name is J.R. Majewski. I'm running in the 9th Congressional District in Ohio that runs along the southern, beautiful southern shores of Lake Erie, uh, stretching from Erie County all the way to the Ohio-Indiana border. Um, I'm running because I love this country. And, uh, you know, I, I became politically, let's say politically motivated during um, COVID, but um, I've always been a staunch supporter of, uh, I would just say patriots and, and, and love of country and our veterans. And um, through my support of a, of a veterans organization, I became uh, widely known across the country as the guy that painted the uh, Trump lawn. And uh, you know, that, that, uh, that, garnered me a large social media following and I leveraged that social media following to help other, um, what, what ended up being was conservatives. Um, and, uh, got to learn the landscape of politics here in Ohio and then got more, um, motivated and, uh, became more aware of politics nationwide. And, uh, as I said, Marcy captors, my opponent, she's been in office for 40 years and I don't, I, I didn't think, and I still don't think that there's another candidate uh, that's thrown their name in the hat or that's become publicly uh, as active as I have that could actually uh, defeat her. And so um, when I threw my name into the hat, it was a Democratic, heavy Democrat district, D16. And, um, you know, as, as like I would like to say, um, God works in great ways. And uh, we flipped that district to uh, what's now an R3. And, um, you know, but, but again, I, I, I threw my name in the hat when it was full on blue. And here I am with my beautiful Majewski red vest, ready to win the election in November. All right, I'm very excited for you, and I love how you threw in your vest, too. That looks awesome. It reminds me of the Youngkin days, how he overcame every challenge just to win in Virginia. It reminds me of his vest as well. Uh, so why are you the Absolutely. best candidate in the race? I mean, it's just between the two of you now, but even in the primary, to serve as the U.S. congressman from the northwest portion of Ohio. Well, number one, I grew up here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's unarguably a fact that I grew up in the worst neighborhood in the district, both from a poverty and a crime perspective. And I was able to, um, you know, make it out, I guess you could say, you know, that'd be the general, the general statement. And uh, what I mean by that is I had a solid family, a uh, solid uh, um, network of friends and associates that, you know, helped me, um, get out of the neighborhood and join the military. And then from the military, I went on to college. And after college, I was fortunate enough to start working in the nuclear power industry. And, um, you know, I was able to build a very, very successful professional career. Um, but I'm the kind of person that 
I believe um, folks in this district would inspire to be like, um, not necessarily be exactly like me, but have the opportunities and take advantage of the opportunities that I did. I mean, the American dream is out there for everybody. Um, we just have to uh, work hard for it. And I think I'm a um, distinct example of what that looks like as someone who grew up born and raised right here in the ninth. I really appreciate that. And I, I, I agree just from what I know about you, it sounds like you've overcame a lot and you've grown a lot yourself. You weren't a trust fund baby or anything like that. You, you built yourself right. and I really appreciate that. And I kind of want to ask about your nuclear energy field um, experience as well. Uh, what did sure. you do in that field and what have you learned in that position that will help you in Congress? So I started off working in the security group and um, you know, the, in the nuclear power industry, uh, they are heavily guarded establishments. Um, they, the, you know, they're, they're, there's an obligation from, you know, each uh, operating facility to protect the general public from a terrorist attack. So fully armed security officers at, uh, at, at, at every power plant across the country. So started off in uh, security. I was um, fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be a hard worker and I was recognized by the site vice president uh, for my hard work. And he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, basically. And it was almost verbatim what he said. And I told him that I'd love to have his job someday. And um, I was, uh, you know, he found out that I had my master's degree uh, and he found out that I was a certified project manager. And, um, you know, I, I had an opportunity to move into the project management group and into the refu refueling outage groups. And, um, you know, I, I led major projects uh, in my mid twenties and I worked my way uh, through uh, ma managing and leading major projects and in, in large groups and large organizations um, in areas like cybersecurity, um, you know, major construction, environmental license renewals. I mean, you name it, a project manager in the nuclear industry has to be a Swiss army knife. Um, from there, I got into uh, um, running the company's spent nuclear fuel portfolio. And what that means is that when um, the reactors are, uh, when, the, when the fuel is, is used to its uh, license capacity in the reactors, it has to be stored somewhere. And it was my job to run a group of highly trained nuclear professionals to remove that spent nuclear fuel from the uh, reactor vessel and then put it into safe storage as required by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So went from working in the security group to handling the, uh, uh, the most dangerous material known to man. That's a crazy, Did a pretty, pretty good damn job doing it. It's a, so. it's a pretty crazy story. It sounds like there. And I, I had to ask because I heard people on Twitter when I'm asking for questions, ask him why he claims he's an executive when he's a security guard. So I wanted to bring that up and, and mention well, that's that because well. there, there are some, there are some people that were on Twitter that worked with me uh, in the security group. And, you know, I'll just be honest, they were flunkies and they got fired or they quit. And uh, you know, the three, two to three years that I was in that group, they knew me and when I moved out of that, that, you know, that, that department and went on to bigger and better things, um, there were some folks in that group that were jealous because I, you know, they thought that the vice president liked me and he gave me a promotion. The reality was I had my master's degree and, uh, I was the guy raising my hand to help, uh, at all times. And so, um, you know, it's always easy to call, you know, it's always grass is always greener on the other side. And, uh, that was a, uh, that was a pretty hectic environment. And, uh, to be honest with you, you know, I don't, I don't 
understand how some of the folks working in the nuclear uh, security industry uh, can, can stay as long as they can, because that, you know, the, the position is, is, is very uh, demanding, uh, rotating shifts, 12 hours a day, uh, limited home life. So, you know, I, I had nothing but desire to get out. It sounds pretty crazy, and obviously protecting something like nuclear energy is very important, so I appreciate your work in that as well, uh, even before you were an executive. And, and so you're facing an incumbent that has served for over 30 years in Congress, and I think it'll be 40 exactly if she loses this term. What are you doing to mm-hmm. defeat the household name that is Marcy Kaptur? Well, we're, uh, you know, number one, the, the, the name Majewski is a household name in Toledo, and uh, it's not because of me. It's because of my grandparents. Uh, my grandparents have been staples in the community for a number of years. Um, my grandmother, um, for example, uh, has been someone that has been uh, extremely active in the Polish community, uh, in the churches. I mean, she's made, we in Toledo, we have a uh, holiday uh, and a celebration called Fat Tuesday. And uh, with Fat Tuesday, they make a Polish donut called a punchki. And um, my grandmother would make thousands of them a year and uh, donate them to the church and the church would sell them for um, fundraising. So um, my grandmother's punchies are well known and I would guarantee you Marcy Captors had quite a few. And so as the members of her family, because my grandmother was the one stop shop for Polish delicacies in Toledo for a number of years. But that being said, um, I'm out working. Uh, I've worked more in my entire campaign um, on the ground than Marcy has probably in 10 to 15 years combined in this district. Uh, Marcy likes to show up when Joe Biden's here or when Kamala Harris is here, get a plastic check and, you know, pretend like she's actually uh, out here for the people. Uh, The fact is she's not. And people recognize that. And, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a fresh face, uh, a strong personality and the loving guy that that people acclimate to. Um, there are a lot of uh, non-Republicans that, that like me, um, to be frank. Um, a, a lot of my friends are not Republican. They're leaning conservative now, but they always have, they haven't always been. Fact remains is I get along with everybody. I don't have any, I didn't have any enemies until I decided to run for office. I think that's the and, story I hear the most, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See, no, I think no, the story good. I hear so, the most is that people have so many enemies after they enter office, but before they're loved by the community and then they decide to run and now they're shunned by over half the community. And I, that's, well, I mean, the Democrats are really good at, the Democrats are really good at propaganda. And, um, Marcy's never had a real fight. Um, and so, you know, they're using innuendos, they're clipping, uh, YouTube videos and they're trying to, you know, put, put together a case that, is just doesn't represent me and Toledoans and, and folks in the ninth are, they, they, they realize it. They're not stupid. All right. I, I completely agree just from what I know. I've never actually been to Toledo. I've been up in the district. I've been to Sandusky. I've been to Cedar point, but I've never actually been to the district, but from what I know, they're not silly people. I mean, I, I've interacted with quite a few of them online and I completely agree with what you sure. say. And you mentioned Democrats that support you. And they're, how, how are you going to get Democrats that aren't your friends, that aren't currently uh, your friend group, to support you over Marcy Kaptur and even more moderate swing Republicans? Um, well, I can't give up too much of my plan because if I did, then and I can tell you that Marcy Kaptur is watching me and I'm not watching her. I really don't give a damn what she's doing because 
um, I know what's right for the district. And we're going to um, change the hearts, change folks' hearts and minds. Um, the ninth district has been plagued for 40 years through democratic leadership and the demise is tangible. Um, you cannot, you cannot not find a bar graph or a scatter chart or you name it, any type of analytical data set um, that you wanted to find that is negative to the ninth district, you can find through a simple Google search. And the common factor um, in all of these analytical sets is democratic leadership. Uh, Toledo used to be, you know, the number one exporter of coal. Toledo was one of the largest, one of the 25 largest cities in the country. It's the home of the Toledo Jeep. Yet we find urban sprawl has impacted us um, year over year. We have a, 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 a major city in which one in four people are in, in poverty and democratic leadership keeps, you know, every election cycle, they're running around giving the same um, false promises and false narratives. And people are getting tired of it. They're getting tired of being lied to. And when I go out and speak to the folks here, um, I, I, you know, I've been through what they've been through. I've was raised in a democratic neighborhood. I had a father who worked at Toledo Jeep and was a staunch Democrat until president Trump. So I know what it's like to um, live under that veil. And uh, what it really boils down to is having access and knowing where to find the truth and the real information. And I'm willing to bring that to them with a highlighter. Hell, I'll bring a spotlight if I need to. And uh, it's pretty easy to convince independents um, that, and, and moderates that the Republican platform and uh, what we want to do, generally speaking, not only for the ninth, but for the country, is right by the people. I've noticed a lot of people, like you mentioned, your your father opening up with President Trump and, and become and kind of changing with President Trump. I've noticed that with a lot of people as well, and I think we'll see that in your race yeah. with this uh, and with this Republican plus three or plus six, whatever it is, leaning even more Republican after they see what's happened in the past few years. And so I really appreciate that answer as well. And I, I have to ask, I ask this to every every candidate. Will there be a debate between you and Congresswoman Kaptur? I'm. I would. I would assume there will be. Yeah, I know that. Uh, you know, we we would. We'd love to have a debate. Um, I know that Marcy Kaptur um, traditionally denies uh, the opportunity for a debate, um, but I think with this one, she's going to want, want want a debate. I would think maybe, but I know she wants it early, and uh, you know, we're not going to. We're not going to. I'm not going to get on the stage with her early in my campaign and, uh, you know, let her throw out a bunch of BS and lies, uh, you know, under the, uh, you know, the, 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 the coordination of a liberal news media outlet. We'll debate her and, and we'll win and, and uh, we'll have a great time doing it, but we'll do it when the people are ready to watch and listen. I can't wait. Right now, nobody cares about politics, man. And, uh, you know, she's out running commercials, you know, going after me as hard as she can. And, there's a couple things happening. Number one, people are saying, oh my God, JR is awesome. He's getting Marcy to work. She's never worked in 40 years. The other people are saying she's lying. She's lying her butt off. JR's not, you know, he's, he's not some crazy, you know, uh, right wing, you know, crazy man. And then the others are saying, I don't really care about politics. You know, get the hell off my TV. It's my summer. 
and I want to enjoy my summer with my family and my friends. I don't want to hear about your stupid congressional race and how, you know, you're going to sit here and lie to me about how amazing you've been for 40 years. So Marcy's actually doing herself a disservice by running all these ads because she looks like a fool. Well, I hope I get to see that debate. I'll be very excited to watch that and just see, because from what you've said about Marcy and from what I know about her, I can't wait to see that. And so I will make sure it makes national news. I can't wait. Uh, so let's say you win this race, you beat Marcy Captor. What will be the first bill you sponsor in Congress? The first bill I sponsor in Congress, I think Congress needs to pass a bill um, that returns Congress to congressional order. Uh, I think right now we're a mess. And, uh, you know, we, we need to we need to rein it in. Um, I know that uh, there are some conservative outlets, which uh, I won't mention at this point, but there is a 100, 100 day plan that is being developed, which I have been a part of and have access to. And uh, there are some strategic moves that the Republican Party is going to put forth. But, you know, at, at this point, that stuff's under wraps until, you know, it's finalized and ready. But number one is uh, is going after um, the mess and the um, discoordination that we have in Congress. We need to get back to regular order. If elected, any legislation you propose, uh, at least in the next two years, will receive the presidential veto. If passed, how will you work with President Biden when elected or the Democratic Party to bring much-needed change to the Ohio's 9th Congressional District? You know, that is a uh, far-fetched reality, to be honest with you. Um, I don't see the Biden administration and the uh, Democratic uh, leaders or representatives working with Republicans whatsoever. Uh, um, the leadership in the Democratic Party have, have, have made it uh, known that there is to be no bipartisan um, efforts. And so I really believe that the job of, uh, I believe it's the 118th Congress, is to uh, cause a ruckus and uh, stifle you know, any initiatives or any progress that the Biden administration wants to make that continue to uh, impede on our liberties. So... You know, we need to put as many um, people-centric and uh, um, constituent-orientated bills onto the dockets so that Biden can veto and we can show what the Republicans plan on doing once we get that dipshit out of Congress, get that dipshit out of office and we get President Trump back in. All right. Well, thank that's you. That's the worst. That's the only. That's the only time I'll cuss. That's okay. I'll that's okay. All right. We're, we're not on terrestrial radio. We don't have to worry about the FCC fines. I think we'll be all right with that. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So in 2020, uh, an issue still fresh on a lot of people's mind is COVID-19. Obviously, the uh, the Biden administration is planning on expanding that emergency health order. Uh, what are your thoughts on the COVID medical tyranny that happened during 2020 and a possible medical freedom pro-vaccine choice bill nationwide? I absolutely think we should. Uh, yeah, look, people have already have the constitutional right. Uh, to their freedoms. Um, should, should we bolster that? Absolutely. Um, but really what we need to do is, is stand our ground. Um, you know, the, the, the COVID nightmare, the overreaches, the, the, the trickle down decision-making to the governors. I mean, that, that, that's what opened the door uh, for this tyranny. And uh, you know, if president, I won't, I won't criticize president Trump, but if, and I think he would, he would agree to this, but probably one of the things that he didn't do that he should have was get rid of Dr. Fauci. Uh, you know, that, that, that was a, a nightmare 
And uh, the longer that man is around and involved um, with decisions that are made at the federal level, uh, the, the more opportunities we're going to have for him to, uh, to, to, to do exactly what he did for almost two years to the, uh, you know, to this country. But the reality of it is, is that Congress should have set the precedence. They didn't, uh, they kicked the can down the road and they let governors make the decisions when governors were coming into, uh, you know, potential primary election cycle and they wanted to do what they thought was best, not for the general public, but for their um, campaigns and for their legacies. And that was a compromise that should never have happened by definition pandemic, a pandemic, if it truly was, which it's bull crap anyway, but let's just say it was a pandemic, which is what they called it. Um, you know, pandemic by definition crosses borders. And, uh, you know, when you have a disease or virus that crosses borders, that makes it federal, in my opinion, and Congress missed an opportunity. All right. All right. Well, thank you for that. And I, I agree sending it to the governors with multiple different um, responses uh, with bordering states. It was a mess. The whole situation yeah. mess. And this Absolutely. Is, this is kind of still on the health question. It's not health care, but uh, uh, the abortion question. Uh, Roe v. Wade was obviously overturned, and it's returning it back to the states. Would you support a constitutional amendment, uh, kind of like a heartbeat bill or a national abortion restriction in any way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm pro-life 100%. Right. Absolutely. All right. That's great to hear because I've, I've talked to some candidates just privately and they're like, well, it's a state's issue. We should keep it to the states. And I'm thinking murder isn't a state's issue. What's the difference between the two? Sure. Sure. I, but I, I truly believe it belongs at the state, at the state level. And, um, you know, what I, what I would say, just to add on to that a little bit, you know, your, my job as a representative is not to take my ideology and my values and allow them to blind me when I'm voting in Congress. My job is to represent the will of the people that live in the district, which I represent. So while I'm 100% pro-life, there is a divide in my district and I need to identify and determine, you know, the, the, the populace in my district on what they want and what they want to see and how they expect me to behave in Washington, DC. It's not about JR going to Washington, DC and, and voting, uh, you know, based on my morals and values. Those certainly uh, do add and they weigh in on my decision-making. Um, my job is to come back and convince the district that what I believe and how I believe I should vote is the correct way. And if I'm ineffective in doing that, then I have to vote, you know, with the will of the people. And that's what I believe is a fundamental uh, challenge that many of these representatives have because, you know, they, they, they vote on their own accord and, uh, you know, they're, they're, in, they're embraced by lobbyists and, uh, you know, they're forced to vote with outside influence that doesn't come from their district. And that's the shame. I appreciate that. And, and something I've noticed, I try to contact representatives, I try to contact senators, is it takes weeks, months, maybe even a couple, uh, six months to hear a response from your senator, from your representative, uh, would you do anything in your office unique to help get the uh, will of your voters heard better and the will of your constituents? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the number one issues here in the Ninth District is that Marcy Captor is harder to find than Carmen San Diego. And uh, you know, that, 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 I don't know if you're old enough to know who Carmen San Diego is, but that was a cartoon when I was a kid. And uh, Carmen San Diego was this international spy, and it was a cartoon, and. Uh, these kids roamed around the world trying to solve problems so they could find Carmen San Diego. And um, Carmen San Diego has been around for probably 20, 30 years. So um, 
you know, Marcy's not available. And her office, I believe, in Washington, D.C. is still closed due to COVID. When I was in D.C., I tried to stop by and the door was shut and there was a note on it and said closed because of COVID. Um, her offices here in the district are closed because of COVID. And, you know, the people here deserve a representative that is out and about, engaged in the community, who doesn't want to live in Washington, D.C. And that's the kind of person I am. So my actual first campaign commitment back in uh, 2021 was that I made the commitment to hold a town hall every quarter in every county that I represent. So I'll be available to the people. They can come in. They can ask me questions. I'll, I'll make sure I answer them. And um, just like I, I deal with you and, uh, you know, a bunch of our friends there on, on Twitter and, and throughout other forms of social media, I will manage my own social media and I will respond to people. I will engage with people. Uh, my time management skills are, are fantastic. And maybe my behavior will inspire other members of Congress to stop pretending as if they're celebrities and they're too busy to engage their constituents because that's in essence what they're doing. They're, they're adding layers between themselves and their constituents so that they can only, you know, they only need to address the things that they want. And, uh, I guarantee you that every member of Congress that you've ever met a message on Twitter sees your tweets. They just decide whether or not they want to answer. And if they do decide to answer and the question's too tough, they have one of their handlers do it for them. That to me, that's a, uh, that's, that's weak. I've noticed that as well. And I, I love your social media comment on how you're going to manage your own social media. It's just like the man behind you in your photo, just like president Trump and his fantastic tweets and his fantastic truths. Now, um, so, so I want to ask a manufacturing question because that's really important to the people of Ohio. It's one of the largest jobs that sure. sectors is manufacturing. How will you bring manufacturing jobs back to Ohio and the United States that previously went to other countries like China? Well, we have to uh, we have to concentrate on bringing um, a business atmosphere to um, places like the Ninth District. That, um, but it all, but. It, we have to bring businesses back by creating a landscape that's favorable to business owners, small business owners primarily. Um, but really we need to have districts in which people want to live. If people don't want to live here, you're not attracting the talent. If you're not attracting the talent, your other option is to bring um, training and education here. And you can't bring them here if they don't feel as if they have a pool of candidates that can afford, you know, what it costs to, uh, to attend that, you know, that, 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 uh, university or that trade school, right. Um, we are fortunate here in Toledo, um, as having the, um, we're the only major city in which the North and South, the only North and South interstate that runs North and South across the entire country and East and West entire across the entire country intersect. And that's I 75, which runs through Michigan all the way down into Florida. And then you have, um, I-8090, which runs from California all the way through New York, right? That opens up a, a large window for traffic, for, for logistics and for um, business organizations. We have major airports here like the Detroit airport. We have the Cleveland airport. Unfortunately, the Toledo airport is, is losing some of its passenger service, but um, we also have the Gordy Howe Bridge that's being built in uh, Michigan that's going to bridge from Detroit into uh, Windsor, Canada. And uh, the ambassador, the old ambassador bridge is, is gonna be torn down. And 
the new bridge connects right off of I-75. So these huge opportunities for, uh, for commerce, for flow of commerce, for logistics, they exist here. We have Lake Erie. Um, you know, we can get out to uh, any country in the world through Lake Erie. We're just not taking advantage of it because we're, we don't have the infrastructure here because Democrats have been running these areas for so many years and their, their ideology of how they manage and treat small business owners is reckless. And we have uh, an effect of, like I said, urban sprawl, uh, but you have somewhat of an industrial sprawl too, because, you know, along I-75, there's all of these new businesses popping up. You have DHL, Amazon, you know, they're building new warehouse facilities on I-75 because of this bridge that's coming up, but they're stopping right before the nine district. You know why? Because they don't want to mess with this democratic municipal um, leadership that's going to want to tax them up the wazoo and, you know, hold them accountable for all of these, you know, regulatory things, these city codes and you name it. But they're doing that because when this Gordy Howe bridge opens, they're going to have ready access into Canada and they're not building up in Michigan because on both sides of 75 from, you know, Ohio up into the area which, in which that bridge is, those, it's either a wildlife refuge or there's current existing businesses. So um, they're going to be running a lot of goods in through the ninth district. And, you know, we need to take advantage of that. We need to open up the doors, be business friendly. We need to attract small businesses and, uh, take advantage of the fact that can, that Canada is our, our, our largest trade partner. Well, I appreciate that. And that, that's something I ask a lot of candidates. And I think you probably went the most in depth with that about manufacturing and how we're going to capitalize on this. I didn't know about that new bridge and everything. So you're bringing up a lot to, to my attention with that. And I want to ask kind of a somber question next when it comes to the tragedy in Uvalde that we saw in the end of May and Congress's response. They passed a, that, that terrible anti-2A bill. Uh, what would you do in Congress to make schools safer while also protecting our Second Amendment? Well, number one, um, we need to support our law enforcement and our police officers. Um, what I saw from the limited perspective of watching those videos from Uvalde is um, law enforcement officers that were quite intimidated um, to take action. And if we reflect over the past month, a couple of months and, and a couple of years, I think we can see multiple um, situations in which the general public, primarily the Democratic Party, has um, waged a war on our law enforcement and their decision making. Um, they have absolutely no sensitivity to what these law enforcement officers go through on a daily basis. No law enforcement officer wants to um, intentionally shoot and kill someone. But even more important than that, they have a innate emotional um, responsibility, right, to protect their own lives. And uh, that's wired into us as humans. You just can't, you know, some of us can run into a gunfight, but it takes a lot of training uh, to, to, to gain that, that level of bravery, right? But number one, if the public doesn't support law enforcement, that inhibits them from doing their duties because they second guess everything that they do. So that that's where we need to be. Um, not only as uh, you know, a local district here in the ninth, which um, that's a challenge Marcy has, she doesn't really support her police officers. And uh, that's why I've been endorsed by um, the majority of the police and law enforcement officer groups here in the district. And she hasn't, um, but 
you know, we also need to uh, really address the mental health of these children and um, you know, mental health and, and, and challenges that these kids have, they need to have an outlet. Um, you know, we, we need to look, I mean, a lot of this gender dysphoria is mental health and uh, you know, we're, 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 we're uh, offering opportunities of, uh, of refuge for refuge for these folks, which I think they need, but we need to extend that to some of these other children instead of beating them down through social media and, uh, you know, getting them involved in some of these political discussions in which they're just too young uh, to understand. So I appreciate that. And while we're talking about the second, and we need to get parents back in the school system. Parents need to be making decisions for their kids, right? I, I can they should be working agree. hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with these folks that are, that are putting together, um, you know, the, the, uh, Parents just need to be working with the education systems so that they know what their kids are being taught. They can help them learn. And uh, you know, even more than that, they can decide whether or not, you know, the subjects that are being taught are, uh, you know, that they, they, they're, they correlate with their, their fundamental values and their beliefs. And if they don't, they should have a right to find another system that does. I completely agree. And you mentioned the uh, social media as well, while you mentioned that it kind of, Ties into my next question, also about the Constitution, about the First Amendment. Uh, we've seen rapid, sure. sans- uh, uh, rampant censorship, especially to like President Trump. Marjorie Taylor Greene was banned on Twitter along with him. I've been banned on YouTube. In Congress, what will you do to protect our First Amendment right to speech uh, when it comes to big tech? In my opinion, we need to um, treat these big tech organizations just like we would public utilities. I mean, they're serving a customer base on such a wide scale, and they have such an impact um, you know, to the social landscape across the country that, you know, they, 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 um, they should be treated in a manner that correlates with their operations. Um, they, they are definitely, um, overstepping what has been given to them legally and, you know, their, their authority. And I've been a victim of it too. And, uh, it's just not right. There's too much arbitrary decision-making in, um, you know, their, their abilities to limit our freedom of speech. But with that said, I think we need to really pull in and rein in some of these free speech um, beliefs or, or rights that the mainstream media feels that they have. Um, I'm a firm believer that the minute you put on a uh, MSNBC t-shirt and an earpiece in your ear and you have a producer telling you what to say, you have lost your right to free speech. At that point, you are not speaking as Josh. You are talking to me as a arm of whatever um, politically motivated special interest group that's, uh, that's paying you and that has developed your script. And so I think we need to get smarter about that. And I think that would push one social media to, you know, back off and uh, stop infringing on our rights. But number two, I think it would, uh, maybe garner some respect back from these mainstream media outlets that are pushing propaganda and narratives that absolutely do not resonate with a majority of the American people. I I appreciate that. And censorship is just such a big issue to me, especially after two of my episodes so far have been taken down. So that's a big issue to me. And I appreciate your response to that as well. And I want to talk about the Southern border, which is maybe not a super big issue in Ohio, but it faces the entire country. How will you work to protect our southern border 
and do you support an immigration moratorium? Sure, um, I do. I think we need to look at more than just a uh, immigration moratorium. We need to look at chain migration. We need to look at our H-1B visa program. Um, I've been, um, had the honor of being uh, recognized as a true reformer by Numbers USA. And uh, I, I've seen how our immigration process can uh, you know, just, just be leveraged by large organizations, large businesses to manipulate um, their ability to staff um, folks that don't live here, that aren't from here, and weren't educated here. And uh, I don't like to see good American jobs uh, not get offered to good American qualified people first. Um, but as far as our southern border goes, I mean, we care up here in Ohio because we have such a uh, large issue with uh, fentanyl, heroin, and human trafficking. Toledo was once number four, I believe, in the world for human trafficking. We're an epicenter for that. Uh, you have, again, that same interstate uh, intersection that we could leverage uh, uh, so well here from an economic standpoint is being leveraged by the black market and those that are working nefariously and underground and illegally. And they found a way to do it, but somehow our politicians can't. So while they're trafficking fentanyl, uh, fentanyl and, and heroin, um, business owners are, are leaving. And uh, that, that, that's a terrible thing that needs to be fixed. So we need to finish the wall. We need to strengthen and bolster our, uh, our customs and immigration processes. And we really need to take a hard, hard look at uh, chain migration as well as our H-1B visa program. Well, well, thank you for that. And I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I keep saying I agree to every question, but uh, I mean, I agree with you on a lot of issues. That's why I, I enjoy uh, having a conversation. You're with a you. solid conservative. <laughs> I, I completely agree with the immigration moratorium, especially just shutting it down. Let us have America first. Put America first again. And I completely agree. Absolutely. With you. And so we're going to go to the election issue because that's a big thing with the 2020 election nationwide. We know it wasn't free and fair, but do you believe there's election fraud in the state of Ohio? Um, I think there was election fraud in every state. I, I don't think that the system is, um, I mean, no system is perfect. So, you know, in, in almost every endeavor that um, we execute in life, uh, there, there will be anomalies. There will be things that occur that weren't supposed to occur. And I can't say with, you know, perfect or great judgment that with 100% certainty that there was levels of intentional fraud in Ohio because I just haven't looked into it. Um, but what I can say is that in Ohio, I felt uh, as if my vote was counted and I felt that, uh, you know, the systems that I used were, um, were sound. Uh, I had to show my ID. I had to sign a piece of paper and uh, I, I was given a paper ballot after I used the voting machine. And I watched that paper ballot be pushed into a locked box by a poll worker. So I was totally content. I would like to see um, that be the case amongst, uh, you know, the other states in this country so that I know that uh, my vote is not for not. So um I'm confident in Ohio, but you know, if they if they, if they can, uh, the Democratic Party can work so hard to, you know, to to have these uh, uh, ballot mules and uh, steal the election effectively. Um, Ohio is not a far fetched thing for them to uh, to work work and operate in, in my opinion. So 
we're keeping an eye out for her. We're cautiously optimistic. That's a good thing. You have to keep an eye out. And I want to mention something that has been controversial with you. I just give you a forum to introduce yourself and not introduce yourself, but defend yourself from the attacks. You were at the Capitol on January 6th. That's the biggest thing that Marcy Captor is attacking you with. I want you to uh, defend yourself against those attacks if you'd like. I'm, I mean, my legacy is there online. Um, you know, I, I, I took a, uh, a, you know, a group of veterans and their friends and families to Washington, D.C. on January 6th to support President Trump. And, uh, you know, absolutely at no time was anything uh, or any intent of ours to do anything illegal or, uh, you know, cause any harm. In fact, none of us did that. Um, when it became clear to us that things were getting out of hand, we packed up and we left. And, you know, that's the easiest way to say it. Um, I've not committed crime, a crime in my entire life. Um, you know, you don't work in the nuclear power industry and have access to spent nuclear fuel uh, and be a criminal at the same time. That, that's quite dangerous. Um, you know, there, there, there are many different organizations and, uh, and uh, you know, again, um, clearances that I've maintained and, you know, those were not, those were never taken away from me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I think what happened in Washington, D.C. was terrible, right? Nobody wanted to see that happen. Nobody wanted to see anybody get hurt. Um, it was a shame. Um, I wish it would have gone differently, but you know what? I was there for a noble cause and I stand by the reason I went there. I got the opportunity to show Vietnam veterans uh, what the Vietnam Memorial looked like and they'd never seen it before. And uh, I'm proud of that. Very proud of it. I thank you for that. I just wanted to, to give you a forum to defend yourself since that's the biggest thing that Captor has against you is that attack. That's all she's using. So I wanted to give you a chance to defend yourself to that. And now we're on to our sure. listener submitted questions. The first one is an email from Ian. Ian asks, would you have voted for any foreign aid package towards Ukraine? The, the ones that were the one the ones that were submitted or so the way I'm asking the way I'm thinking this question is could be is either the ones the, the foreign aid packages that were submitted or if I was part of the um, if, if I was part of the juncture that actually formed the Ukrainian aid package. So I'll answer that both ways. With what was proposed, absolutely not. Um, if I had been a part of Congress, um, I would have pushed to uh, take a, a, a more uh, initiative-based approach. The minute that Vladimir Putin put out that any aid, you know, military aid to Ukraine was an act of war, then we've lost an opportunity. Um, I really think we need to be pushing for diplomacy there. And, uh, you know, arming, arming Ukraine um, with, with military technology uh, at this point, uh, I haven't been convinced that that's the right thing to do. It may be the right thing to do. It may be, but I don't know that. And I don't think the American public does because our Congress does not know how to articulate that. They just expect us to listen to what they say because they said it. And that's not the way America operates. So I think a lot of the contention and um, you know just animosity that the American people have is that we're continuously engaging in foreign wars and bailing out other countries that aren't helping us and we're not helping our own people first. That's what Americans want to see. We don't want to be isolationists. We don't want to just tuck into our own country and not 
you know, function as leaders of the free world. We want to do that, but we want to make sure that our country's taken care of first. And we're a long way from that at this point. And a lot of it has to do with this bumbling idiot that we have as a president. All right. I appreciate you answering that. And I'm sure Ian does as well. And our next question is from Ryan. He asks, how would you as a congressman push back on the cultural revolution, which is all but mainstream in America? Furthermore, do you have any direct policy ideas to push back on the LGBT and CRT indoctrination in our society and our schools? That's a big question, man. Um, you have to ask that one again, because that's, that's so wide in general. Like, I don't even think I can answer that. Right. I mean, I'd love to, but I think my campaign people would kill me because it, it just opens up too many doors for Marcy Captor. All right. Honestly. All right. Well, I'll, I'll that makes sense. I understand. I'll move on a little bit. Uh, the, the bedrock to any healthy society is the family. So what would you do to make it easier to start and grow a family in America? And this is also from Ryan. Um, well, we, we need to have, you know, uh, family orientated uh, uh, outlets for for folks. I mean, number one, we're, we're destroying the nuclear family because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing uh, in, in, in our inner cities for, you know, young, young women to feel as if they have no choice, but to have an abortion. Right. Um, number two, we need to uh, reduce the cost of living so that couples don't feel as if both of them, you know, need to work. A lot of young uh, Americans aren't getting married because they feel as if you know they can't afford it. Um, you know, the, the um, getting married should be a decision that is made based on, you know, your, the love that you have for another individual. It shouldn't necessarily be um, dependent upon, you know, your, your income potential or income capacity. So you know, there, there, there's so many different ways in which we could make this country a better place for the nuclear family. But, you know, we have to, we have to uh, fight back against this radical agenda to break the nuclear family first. And, you know, that, that starts with, um, you know, building areas and, and, and growing uh, districts in this country where people actually want to live because it's friendly and um, from, you know, economically as, as well as from a crime perspective. And that's tough. There's a lot of things that go into that. I, I agree with what you're saying with that, especially. And now we're going to move on to a question. This is an audio message from a listener who's actually in Ohio's ninth congressional district. Hey, JR, this is uh, Landon from Ohio nine. I have a question for you. What exactly is your position on health care? There's been a lot of, you know, I've asked this question with lots of candidates before and kind of been up in the air. And since you brand yourself as an America first populist, I guess, what would you say to the people who, you know, need health care or struggle to find health care? What do you think the solution is? Thank you. So my main um, focus with health care is that um, we really need to, we need to remove big pharma out of the situation. Um, we need to reduce the cost of healthcare, and we can do that by taking the healthcare industry into the free market. Right now, it's not. It's dominated by special interests. So we need to remove them from the picture. We also need to look at some uh, tort reform. Right? If you uh, if you get a uh, you know a malpractice case, right? There should be some type of uh, uh, sane understanding of, of what the doctor is uh, liable for, right? If it's not with malicious intent, if it's an accident. Uh, right now, that's all, uh, you know, that's all subject to the ruling of the court. And, 
you know, you may have, you know, a doctor practices on you and I both, Josh, and uh, ends up working on, let's say, the wrong knee, right? You may go to court and find yourself um, with a windfall of $20 million, and I may walk out of court with 500000 um, Number one, that's not fair to us because, you know, there, there's, there's no, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and, but number two, that gives a wide margin of, uh, insurance requirements that that doctor has to carry. And, uh, that hurts, that hurts them. And they're managing risk as much as their personal risk, as, as much as they're managing our health. And, uh, we need to need to help, formalize and, and get that, get that market stabilized. And we won't do that by government interaction. Government ruins everything. We need to take them out get it to the free market. And uh, I think we would see a significant reduce reduction in, uh, in medical costs. I think that's the first step until we do that. Everything else, in my opinion, is a great idea, but we won't know if it works. All right. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a big question that we had a couple different listeners send in, but that was the voicemail. So I wanted to play that one as well. And our last listener submitted question is about economic struggle, uh, economic struggles Americans have been going through, especially under the Biden administration. GOP Josh, it's POTUS 40 Reagan. And I heard you're doing a huge interview with Jared Majewski from Fort Clinton. Well, I have a couple of questions for Mr. Majewski, but most importantly, how are you going to help local Ohioans and the nation recover from the Biden inflation and raising gas prices. Thanks. The floor is yours. Well, I think with, uh, with respect to um, what we're facing from an economic standpoint, I mean, it's, it's gas, it's groceries, it's our utility bills, right? Um, cost of living is, is going up and it's all self-inflicted wounds. It's all things that I think that the Biden administration is is pushing on us uh, purposefully. Um, wait till wait until this winter when uh, Americans need to heat their home. Uh, you know it's going to be even harder. So what we need to do first and foremost is is get back to a nation of energy independence. We have enough liquid national natural gas under this country to uh, you know essentially run the world for a number of years, and uh, we need to open that to the free market. And we need to, uh, you know, open up these pipelines, get these folks back to work and uh, stop sending our resources to Europe and overseas. Right. Um, that's number one. Energy independence to me is, you know, a, a fundamental uh, issue that's that's bedrock to uh, American success. So we need to get, get back to being energy independence as far as inflation. Um, you know, <clears throat> I have a fancy answer for that, but it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's very complex, but what it really boils down to is fiscal responsibility, um, from Congress. Um, we have a bloated bureaucracy. Uh, we have many initiatives that are out there that are being funded and, um, you know, the, uh, the government is funding these things because they're too proud to say that they're a failure. And we need to clean house. And we also need to get, like I said, Congress to regular order. And we need to pass one issue bills. If we can do all that, I think we can find ourselves in a position where um, our market will be much more predictable. Investors will be, you know, uh, more willing to, to, to get back into the market. And we should see 
some of our rates, you know, uh, drop and get back to where we would like them to be. And uh, the economy would be a little bit more predictable at that point. All right. Well, thank you. That's a question I usually ask, but but we had a listener send it in, so I had to play that as well. And our last question isn't super political. It's just about the political process overall. How has it been running a campaign and what have you learned in that process? Is politics really as bad as the general public would seize? Yes. All right. Politics is not. Look, I'll answer that question. I promise you, Josh, I will give you an exclusive interview once I'm elected. And I will bear all of the truths. Um, I am, and I want your listeners to know, um, I'm absolutely not scared to say what's on my mind, but I'm going to be strategic and uh, not going to give the, uh, not going to give everything right now because doing so um, probably isn't the smartest thing to do. (laughs) But the reality of it is, is that um, politics is, is extremely money motivated, everything revolves around the dollar. Um, there are a lot of special interest groups that want to play in politics. And, uh, you know, they, they, they can be very, very, very influential on, you know, who wins certain races. And so it wasn't what I expected in that regard. Um, and I'm going to try to play uh, my lane, which is to, you know, be the guy that I am, not let anybody change me and, uh, you know, not be compromised. Um, I, I, I don't think that, 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 that is a possibility. Uh, it's hard enough for my wife to get me to take the trash out every Thursday and that's part of changing me. So if she can't do that, I don't think anybody can, uh, you know, make me into some uh, establishment politician. I have absolutely no desire to change the person that I am. I just want to be the best man that I can be every day you know, for the district, for the country, but you know what, most of all for me and for my family. And so this is just a, uh, this is just a piece in that puzzle. And, you know, we're figuring it out pretty quickly, but politics is just what you think it is. You guys have an imagination. You've been around it a little bit long, you know, long enough to know it it is what you think it is. Just a little bit worse. Worse than the average public would imagine as well. That's, that's even more than I expected. (laughs) There's a, there's there's a lot of things that we don't know about that you get to that you get exposure to as a candidate that you don't see, um, you know, as being a member of the general public. And a lot of these things would, you know, if they were to get the right attention, I think the general public would be, you know, just as upset as I was when I learned it. But you know, these things can be navigated, but they're they're they just don't belong. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, Mr. J.R. Majewski, J.R. Majewski, the number four congress.com. Mr. Majewski, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. And uh, saying hi to all your buddies and my buddies in the, uh, when we call it the election Twitter space. Thank you guys for uh, supporting me. And uh, I can't wait until Mike, what's his name? Mike Leone. I can't wait to see him win Tennessee one. I'm telling you right now. I wish I could endorse the guy. I hope you guys do, but it's going to be one hell of a congressman. I tried to get him on the show for, for his race, and he said, no, he's not running. And I, I think he's just fake news. It's the left-wing fake yeah, news. Yeah, you know what? He's too important. He's, he's got a demanding schedule. Mike, please, man, get on Josh's show. Quit, quit passing him on to your handlers, all right? Answer your messages. Let's do this. 
All right. Well, Mr. Majewski, thank you for joining me today. And I really, I'm laughing. I really appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate that. And for everyone listening out there, please make sure you go to J.R. Majewski, the number four congress.com. Check out his campaign website. Also go to jpjosh.com and stay tuned to the Red Future Radio Network. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. 